Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Oh, gracious and merciful Father, we pray and realize that we are weak and needy, that we indeed need your very help this morning. Lord, that we need you to be able to light the path that is before us. Lord, help us with your spirit as we read your word, that your word would light the path that we stands in front of us. Lord, help us in our ways as we trust in your testimony, as, as we delight in all of your riches, as we meditate on your word and your promises, that we fix our eyes upon Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we delight in your statutes. And help us not to forget your word. Lord, we realize we need your help because we are weak and needy. Fill us with your spirit this very uh, moment that we might give you thanks and praise, realizing your work within us. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hear now the word, Lord, from Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 to 22. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that it was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds and they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him for Moses Uh, For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Sekuth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the cloud, pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. We have all had that time as we're driving along and right before us our path is smooth sailing, but then as we had planned, it doesn't go as we originally had anticipated There is a big sign in front of us, an orange sign that says detour. Or as I was driving one night and here's this state trooper blocking this dual-way highway, I wanted to go straight, my GPS told me to go straight, but the state trooper pointed me down some back road and told me some, what I thought was simple instructions, turn left, turn right, turn right, and turn left. And then as you're driving along, you start to realize, well, they're not as clear as you thought. When do I turn right? When do I turn left? How far am I going? No cell reception. It was quite a a moment of anxiety for me in the middle of the night. Vagueness and no ability to be able to find GPS, I had one sense of assurance, and that was that I would find civilization at some point. That detour was mild and short, not a great inconvenience, slightly anxious, 
However, we might face greater detours in our lives, ones that we do not plan or do not anticipate for. Some might be minor bumps in the road, a day lost, an hour spared. But others are great barriers to our lives. The day you planned did not happen. Parenting challenges, marriage problems, relationships with coworkers, or your parents change as you grow older. Job opportunities get turned down. Medical news that brings your life to a halt. Trips to the doctors that come as a surprise. Your dream, your plan, changed in a moment. You're enjoying your life, or at least moving in a direction you think, and then in life brings before us this great orange flag detour. Just like those unexpected roadblocks, these challenges of our plans, these are the detours of our life. Now, after spending a large amount of time in a short period of of history, really about 24 hours, but yet we've spent quite a bit of time unpacking those scriptures which are written for us from chapters 11 and now into 13, the people of God are finally set free. Saved from Pharaoh's slavery, set apart as God's own possession to be able to serve him and him alone. They're instructed on how to be able to celebrate the Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. That they were to celebrate annually in the Promised Land. They were to consecrate the firstborn. That they were to have a sign and a seal of the covenant through circumcision applied to every male. Now we enter into the next section of the story of Exodus. Finally, they have left, and now what is going to happen? In verse 11, we see something important that Moses writes, when the Lord brings you into the land of Canaan. Hear that promise which was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That God wasn't merely just saving them from slavery, but he was bringing them to a final destination. And in this week, we see that beginning of that journey in which they're heading off to that promised land. We see in this journey, God begins with greater things in mind than what they had. He has a glorious goal for them. That God will fulfill his past pledge to them. And God will bring them, be with them on their journey. The first part is God's glorious goal. We see this in verses 17 to 18, God's glorious goal. Now it's interesting, as they set off on their journey, we find out that Moses records the way they did not go. Moses writes that they did not pass the land of the Philistines, although it was the quickest and nearest way to be able to get to the promised land. It would be hard to be able to depict these words as we read about going from Egypt to the promised land, the land of Canaan. But just geographically speaking, it would be like us heading off to Harrisonburg, Virginia, about 200 miles away. But instead of going up northeast, we're sent down southeast and end up down towards Raleigh, North Carolina. 
And then, after following that, then go up more north to be able to head up to Harrisonburg. Now, we need to understand this is no slight detour. And this is not merely just 200 miles in the car. This is a large group of people traveling with young and old, their flocks and herds, their possessions and their carts. This is not merely just some slight detour. This is a major inconvenience. But the great aspect of what Moses tells us is that he tells us exactly why this happens. We aren't left to speculate. It's not that Moses didn't stop and ask for directions or someone had the map upside down. This is God's design in this detour. That God made them take this detour because he says, lest the people change their minds and see war and return to Egypt. God's concern for the people is not the distance in which they travel. It's the end goal and destination at which they reach. That God knows the people very well. He knows if they were to go into the land of the Philistines, they would see war and conflict. And once they see that war and conflict, they would immediately turn around and go back to Egypt. And this isn't just merely just at this time in this verse. This is one major problem that will constantly happen in these wilderness wanderings. Time and time again, the people of God are confronted with something and their immediate response is, well, let's just go back to Egypt. Let's appoint new leaders and get back to Egypt. You would think that after 400 or so years of being in slavery, this ability to be free, you would never want to go back. The, the bitterness and the, the slavery which was put upon them and that heavy burden, immediately they would say, let's never go back. But here, right from the very beginning, God knows their hearts and their inclination to be able to return back to Egypt. This place in which they receive beatings, these heavy burdens. Yet they will. They, they will constantly seek to be able to return back to Egypt. For as much as this was a difficult time for them as slaves, it was also a very safe and secure time for them. They lived in Egypt. They didn't have to fight any of their battles. Egypt was a powerhouse in military terms. Egypt was a superpower empire that spanned close to 3,000 years. Not only that their security of, of their, their military, but also just in the place in which they dwelt. One of the most rich and fertile lands to be able to grow and care for flocks. Although these past years, the, the plagues and the signs and wonders fell upon Egypt and ruined Egypt by God's hand, yet most other times when there's droughts or famines, people would go to Egypt. That's where you would turn. Now compare that to the wilderness, where God is about to lead them. Now, some people love the wild, hiking, observing, enjoying the things. But most of us enjoy it for a small time. We're always happy after camping to be able to return home. 
Most of us really don't want to sell our home and just go live in the middle of the wilderness forever. The reality is the same for God's people. They're now free, but this freedom now exposes them to things that they haven't had to deal with before, war, elements, self-governance, international relations, provisions. Now, God will supply all of their needs, but it still doesn't mean that it doesn't require faith on their part. And the people, when confronted with these challenges, will always have this desire to be able to return back. This is literally new territory for them. You think about it. These, this generation has never left Egypt. When Moses asked for them to be able to go into the wilderness to be able to make sacrifices, Pharaoh refused. He wouldn't even let them travel for a week. And the glorious plan in all of this that God knows the people's hearts. He knows what the best outcome is and the desire of his glorious plan for his people. Time and time, the people of God would rather return to the land of Pharaoh than go to the promised land. This will be a time of testing for the people of God, as we will see. Let us think about one key aspect, though. God's end goal is not their immediate happiness. God's end goal is not their immediate comfort in this life. If it was, then he would have made a way for them to get to the promised land immediately, quickly. Yet God's end purpose and his goal was for them to be able to dwell in the promised land, that he might dwell with them in the promised land. He does this by knowing the path they need to take. They will be tested. They will be disciplined. But even before they begin, God gives them this immediate detour to take them the long way around. The easiest and most direct path is not always the path the Lord sets on God's people. God takes them the long way around because he knows what is best for them. He knows what they can handle. How often do we think about this? Why would God place this hurdle in my life? This great difficulty? Why is this placed on my lap? Why is he making me go through this suffering? Why does it seem like everyone else in their job and career are just moving onward and upward and I am left here? Why is it that God has done all of these things for me? Why am I in my situation and my place? Why do I have to watch others suffer? Why is God leading me on this path? Why would God test me? Well, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this passage that will come back time and time again as we go through these wilderness wanderings. But he says, that I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea 
And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. And Paul continues later in that chapter, and he says, These things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. He continues later and he says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. All of these passages of Scripture, and Paul specifically highlights this period of time in which the people of God will be tested time and time again. And he says, that was written for our example and our instruction that we might not be able to desire evil, that we might be able to trust in God and His provisions and all that He has done for us, that God places us in those situations and those detours and those difficult times in our lives to be able to test us. But He always provides a way for us, as He always will, as He does for the people of God through the wilderness wanderings. He does this time and time again. He provides for them all that they need. And God knows the hearts of the people, and he led them deliberately the long way round that they might be able to make it to that destination. That immediately they would return back to Egypt. Now we need to heed Paul's warning as we read through these passages, because often what we think is, well, they're just, they're not thinking right. But Paul says we need to take heed lest we fall. God might not give us what we want, when we want it, because he knows that we're not ready for that yet. He has a far greater and glorious plan. He might lead you the wrong, long way round to protect you or stop you from falling or stop you returning. God might, might make you walk a path that you would never choose for yourself because he knows your heart better than you do. Often we do not think about the difficult or long journeys that believers have to traverse in the Bible. We think about Abraham leaving Iran, Lot leaving Sodom, Jacob left his home, Joseph was imprisoned, Moses fled Egypt, David wandered in the wilderness after trying to flee from Saul. Long before what we would say they reached that point in which we see them as men and women of faith, God makes them go a long way around that they might grow in their faith, these times of preparation. And God does this to be able to fulfill their glorious goal, His glorious goal in their life. One of our favorite verses is Romans 8.28, For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. 
Now, we can spend an adequate amount on this verse. It would honestly take probably a sermon series merely just to be able to unpack it. And merely that would only be reaching the surface. But let me draw your attention to one word in that verse that we probably often overlook. Three letters long. But often this is what's before us in this question. Paul does not say that God gives us all good things, nor does he say that God gives us happiness, pleasure, comfort, a myriad things that we would call good. God promises in Romans 8 that all things will work together for good. The best and the worst will work out for good. In his tremendous book, Thomas Watson, All Things for Good, he shows the best and the worst things all work out for good. Watson explains the worst things are not good in themselves, but because they are part of God's glorious plan, God works them out for good. Like in this passage here, it is not good that the people of God have to traverse in the wilderness, not going the quickest way around, going the longer way, that detour, but God works it for good for them. And this journey for the people of God will be difficult. Most of them will never see the promised land. God led them the long way around that he might prove to them, move them forward rather than return to Egypt. And so it is with us. God's glorious goal is to have us to to persevere until the end, to continue this journey until we are able to be able to cross that river. We'll constantly feel that pull to be able to return to that old self, to return to Egypt, our Egypt, our slavery. We'll want to turn back to sin. But as we see God using these long journeys to bring us home and not turning us back, we might not ever know the reason God takes us down this certain path. But we can know for certain It's not about our wants or desires, but his glorious plan to be able to bring us home. His plan to be able to glorify us. That all things come not by chance, but come from his fatherly hand. The second portion that we see in this passage is God's past pledge in verses 19 to 20. Now in this passage, we see this strange comment about one item that they take on their journey and that is of Joseph's bones. That as they're leaving Egypt, Moses grabs a box of bones and carries them out. That again, we're reminded that the story of Exodus is not a standalone story. It began at the very beginning, hinting back towards the story of Genesis. The author of Hebrews explains that Joseph's faith in this solemn promise that he makes his brother's make is that by faith, at the end of his life, Joseph made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Joseph, even before the people of God were enslaved, told the story of this exodus. That Joseph had faith. What did Joseph have faith in? What did he have that assurance of things that were hoped for, that conviction of things not seen? 
What did Joseph have assurance of and conviction of? Well, Genesis clearly tells us, as Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, I encourage you to read that story later, but he says, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He had the assurance that God would visit them. The conviction that God would not only bring them out of Egypt, but into the promised land he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the author of Hebrews points this out, not speaking merely of geographical dirt within geographical bounds, but the author of Hebrews highlights that their desire and their faith is not merely just to be able to go to a land of Canaan, but they were seeking a homeland. Not the land they left, but the better country, the heavenly one, the city designed by God. These two promises in this action carry out the bones of Joseph. There's a promise that Joseph made to his brothers, but underlying that promise is the promise God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was not merely only going to save them out of the land of Egypt, but bring them into that promised land. And there, as they walked through the wilderness wanderings, there and amongst all their possessions, we read about it later in Joshua, that they actually buried Joseph in the land of Canaan. But there was a box of bones, labeled, or however it was, Joseph's bones. Do not throw out. A reminder of this faith, of this promise of where they're heading and why they're going there. A reminder that they have not found their final resting place. A reminder of the destination and not the drive. But also finally we see in this passage God's imminent, immediate imminence. Verses 21 and 22. That as God leads them, He's not doing so from some remote cell tower as our GPS passes information through our phone. He leads them all the way. Although they will face difficulties, challenges from outside, but also inside the camp, God is still with them. God heard their cries in Egypt, and he visited them. He saved them. He delivered them. But he also travels with them. He leads and guides them. With a cloud during the day and fire by night, two objects, a cloud and fire, to do two different things. A cloud to be able to lead them, a fire to be able to light their path. We'll see in this time God's greater provision of all these things for the people of God. They lack nothing. He guides them. He provides for them. He defends them. He saves them. He sanctifies them, disciplines them. The pillars of cloud and fire have practical significance. They provide shade and light at night. But I think what the most important aspect of what Moses is pointing out that is in the midst of them 
their God is. God is not some distant being merely telling them to go and, or even just to be able to free them and merely just to be able to say, find your own way, you're on your go, I'll, I'll be in the promised land. He's there in their midst, night and day. Again, this is a great contrast to the Egyptian gods. Many Egyptian gods, they believed, would either go and fight battles against the gods in the heavens, so they would leave for a time. That's why natural disasters would befall them and come upon them, because their gods have left. They would either leave them, or even like the sun god, the sun god would rise in the day and then depart at night, not being able to protect the people in their darkness. Here, they'd be defenseless because their gods had abandoned them. That's not the God of the Bible. He made the night and the day, and he rules over all. And he went with his people. He did not depart from them day or night, or their time in their wilderness as their testimony of God's faithfulness, even amongst their unfaithful people. Gandalf will often leave the fellowship but God does not. He doesn't leave them. They will try and leave him, but he will not leave them. And so, too, it is with us today. As Jesus ascended into heaven and promised that he would be with his disciples until the end of the age. One of the great comforts that we see in, in this time in John's high priestly prayer in, in John chapters 14 and following is here, Jesus is praying that he is about to depart. He is about to leave. And what's going to come and befall them is exactly what's going to come and befall Jesus. As, as they hated me, they're also going to hate you. Trials and tribulations, troubles and woes. But he, he promises that he is going to prepare a place for it, but he's going to send his spirit to be able to come and be in their midst. That he's going to help them as they walk through these divine detours. Again, the author of Hebrews writes, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We can have confidence that it doesn't matter what path the Lord sets before us. Those divine detours. Again, he's not merely just opening the door and shoving us out, that he walks with us along the way. He doesn't say, I'll meet you on the other side. He doesn't say this dark valley which you are about to descend in, I can't go there with you. He says, I am with you. I will not leave you. And we can then confidently say, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? 
As the psalmist writes that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil. Why do we fear no evil? Not because we are strong, not because we have some sense of good sense of direction or our ability to be able to traverse dark valleys. We have no fear in that situation because the Lord is with us. Paul ends Romans 8, that passage in which we see God works together all things for good. As, as we see that glorious plan, and he ends chapter 8. Not by only telling us God's glorious plan, but he also ends that nothing can separate us from the love of God. No matter what path that is set before us, we see that God sent His Son... Showing forth his love. And Paul's argument is, how can we know? Because God sent his son. Why would he send his son to be able to die for us that he might just up and leave? Christ died. He rose again. He's now interceding for us. He says, what can separate us from God's Christ's love? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, death, life, angels, rulers, things that we face today or things that await us tomorrow, anything in all creation. And he ends Romans chapter 8 by saying, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And some of us have been thrown a big orange sign that says detour over our life. We have no idea of where we're going, what we're doing. We have no idea why God would do that to us. And yet, in God's divine providence, He's placed us on this path with His glorious goal for us to be able to go and dwell with Him. That as He's doing this, He's fulfilling His past pledge to us what He has promised He will carry out. But I think some of us need to know that God is with us. He has not abandoned us. He has not put you on this path merely just to be able to see how you turn out. He is with you until the end of the age. He traverses that dark valley with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Not only he has a glorious plan for us, but he's on the journey with us. And he sent his son Jesus to be able to die for us that we might be free from sin, but his spirit also to be able to help us while we traverse in this wilderness wanderings. A glorious passage, as Paul says, written for our instruction and our example that we might not have those evil desires, but might be able to see God's faithfulness through and through until the end. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise, even for a passage like this in which we see your divine detours in the life of your people. Lord, sometimes to be able to free us from ourselves, but always for your glorious plan and goal, Lord, that we can 
say, as Paul says, that we know God works all things for good. Lord, help us as we see that we are saved through Christ. But you have also sent your Spirit to be able to help us as we traverse in this weary land. Lead us and guide us. Fill us with your Spirit that we might know that you are with us and you are near. That we would have confidence to be able to say, the Lord is my helper. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.